Research suggests that digestive system activity might affect thinking and memory. The two-way communication between the gut through the vagus nerve and the brain is now believed to explain why psychotropic drugs like serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, have effects on both the brain and the gastrointestinal tract. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Come on in. Okay, and now that we're in, Julie, how's your gut? You want to know how my gut is doing, Cindy? Is that actually a thing? Well, oddly, studying our gastrointestinal system, more commonly referred to as the gut, shows that our brain and behavior are influenced in all sorts of ways by bacteria that live in the digestive tract. That sounds um, a little crazy, but stick around because it will make more sense as you learn more about it. It is pretty crazy, but you know, we've all said things like, listen to your gut, or my gut tells me whatever, whatever it tells you. And now research suggests that your gut might really be telling you stuff you need to listen to. Based on recent neuroscience, we're learning that bacteria that live in our stomach and intestines actually impact our brain development and behavior and our overall health. If you think about it, you know, a lot of people feel anxiety in their stomach. Messages like that, that we're nervous or afraid, are beginning to be seen as messages from your second brain, the gut. So let's take a moment for a little brain science. What is called our central nervous system is made up of our brain and our spinal cord. The peripheral nervous system, which includes all the rest of the nerves in our body, is the second nervous system. Those nerves are all peripheral to the main parts, our brain and spinal cord, our central control. We're basically a bundle of nerves which is why it's so easy for things to, let's say, get on our nerves and make us nervous, or to literally feel like a bundle of nerves. So the part of the peripheral nervous system that works on its own and is basically autonomous in the things that it does is wisely called the autonomic nervous system. It takes care of involuntary bodily functions, things our body does without us having to even think about them or pay attention, like breathing, blood pressure, digestion. Things that are related to digestion, basically anything that relates to or happens in the intestines are called enteric. What is now called the enteric nervous system, or the ENS, is made up of over 100 million nerve cells lining our entire gastrointestinal tract, which is a very long and winding road. Oh, thanks, Cindy. Now I have that song in my head. <laughs> Studies estimate that the enteric nervous system, ENS, contains more neurons than the whole spinal cord and is probably much older in evolutionary terms than our control center brain. So we basically have another more basic but still very influential brain 
in our digestive tract. So crazy. Yeah. The enteric nervous system is an autonomous system within the larger autonomic nervous system. It can function completely on its own to control digestion and impact all sorts of things throughout our mind and body. Yeah, it is hard to believe, but stick with us. Studies of the ENS are changing our understanding of how digestion, mood, health, and even our thinking are connected. Interesting because it's only now being seen as a nervous system. It wasn't even named back when we learned about the brain and the central nervous system. We would not have imagined that there's a part of our body that operates without directions from the central nervous system. The brain and spinal cord do everything except that. So while the ENS communicates back and forth with the brain, it does what it's supposed to do and more independently of the brain and spinal cord, which other organs or systems in the body can't do. Right. And of course, I don't want to scare anybody. It cannot do the higher order thinking that the main brain can. <laughs> it just can't. But it actually does a huge amount, an incredible amount, actually. First and foremost, it's there to keep your gut working by helping absorb good stuff, the nutrients, and keeping out the bad stuff. It controls the entire digestive process from taking in the food and swallowing to releasing the enzymes that break down the food, controlling thirst, controlling blood flow, and pushing things through to be eliminated. Okay, this might not sound too impressive. After all, it is the digestive system. It's supposed to handle digestion. Actually, that process does sound kind of impressive to me. It's happening inside us all the time. We don't even know about it. We're not even conscious. We can't even add conscious input to it. But recent studies show that the ENS is far more complicated than we ever knew and very different from other muscle organs that evolved without their own nervous system that works on its own. We're finding, for example, that the bacteria in our gut the gut microbes, also play a part in the development of neurological and behavioral disorders. They balance immune tolerance, which means they just might influence autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis. They also vary in people with autism and other developmental disorders who sometimes have gastrointestinal problems that make their behavioral symptoms worse. Signals from the digestive system affect metabolism and someone's risk for health conditions like type 2 diabetes. Right. One way the autonomy of the second brain is thought to work is through the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve of the autonomic nervous system and connects the gastrointestinal tract to the brain. It's now thought that this nerve might be a link between the brain and the microbes in the gut. The vagus nerve does carry signals back and forth between the digestive system and the brain. And scientists have found that both physical and psychological stress can cause the vagus nerve to dysfunction and vice versa. So people coping with irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, and problems like constipation, diarrhea, or any stomach upset may also have emotional responses. It kind of makes sense. People get pretty irritable when they have tummy trouble of any sort. Sure do. The vagus nerve is also activated when you're feeling compassion and empathy. And it's been found to be related to poor emotional and attention regulation, to inflammation, 
to sensitivity to stress and mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. A lot of us experience a lot of different emotions in our stomachs and in our throats, which is also part of that vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve sends information to the brain in times of stress. There seems to be two-way communication between the vagus and the brain in lots of places. It plays an important role in the development of psychiatric disorders, as well as stress-induced and inflammatory diseases. What this increasing knowledge has led to is the current treatment of stimulating the vagus nerve, which is done in a procedure, not surprisingly called vagus nerve stimulation, VNS. It's used along with medication to calm the nerve, which is actually showing some effectiveness in the treatment of chronic depression. It may have other relaxing and anti-inflammatory effects too. VNS stimulation therapy is approved by the FDA for seizure prevention, and it's used with exposure therapy to treat severe anxiety. This is a lot, and there's more. Research suggests that digestive system activity might affect thinking and memory. The two-way communication between the gut through the vagus nerve and the brain is now believed to explain why psychotropic drugs like serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, have effects on both the brain and the gastrointestinal tract. That makes sense that antidepressants, you know, they upset people's stomach and they calm their depression. Our two brains talk to each other. So therapies that help one, you know, that makes sense. It might help the other or it might make the other worse. I don't know. But it makes sense that they're connected if you think about it. It does help explain why treating IBS and other bowel disorder treatments with antidepressants have been effective. These medications can sometimes calm symptoms, and sometimes they create them, and sometimes they calm them by acting on nerve cells in the gut, which explains why gastroenterologists, which are the doctors who specialize in digestive conditions, also prescribe psychological interventions like CBT or hypnotherapy, not because they think the problem is only psychological or in somebody's head, but because these treatments actually seem to help with the communication between the brain and the gut. Holistic treatment approaches that combine VNS, nutrition, drugs, and psychological interventions like mindfulness, they're becoming a standard of care, a way to treat the whole person. And they're likely to help improve mental, emotional, and physical challenges altogether, which is good. Yeah, all of it needs more research, but it's an exciting time in the growth of our knowledge about this. And we wouldn't be attending to our own mission of social justice and psychology if we didn't explore the connection between social equity and gut health. Well, that's true, Cindy. If knowledge about how to better care for your gut can improve all kinds of health for all kinds of people, well, then we're happy to help. To heal the gut, most people need an anti-inflammatory diet. Basically, that means reduced animal products and fats and a lifestyle that prioritizes healthy habits like getting enough sleep, getting some exercise, having a manageable stress level. It's obvious in a way too, that since gut health affects so many aspects of life and also depends on diet, lifestyle, and stress levels, it follows that marginalized people, especially in underserved communities, don't have access to what they need for a healthy gut and therefore a healthy body and mind. This is one of the reasons they have a significantly higher incidence of heart disease, diabetes, and obesity, among other things. If all people had more access to and chose to consume 
more fiber, fresh fruits and vegetables, fewer animal products, their guts would be healthier. Fiber promotes the diversity of bacteria that live in the gut and seem to run our system, apparently. Right. Come to find out, inequity affects your gut health and also promotes poor gastrointestinal health. And this means possibly poor health in general, including mental health. More reasons to pay attention to food sources and stressors in every community, especially marginalized communities. You know, Cindy, that makes me wonder, if we were to provide healthier food to our most at-risk populations, would we reduce negative health consequences and increase their quality of life? Wouldn't that be a whole lot less expensive than all the medical care that these same people end up requiring? Doesn't that make sense? It definitely does. It's an interesting thought, Julie. There seems like there's no downside to it. Organizations that work toward food justice, for example, include ones like foodfirst.org and plantingjustice.org. And locally here in Philly, we have soilgeneration.org. Of course, their main function is hunger and healthy foods, but dealing with hunger and food justice directly and indirectly impacts mind and body health all of our people. Which is what we need. Yes, we do. Thanks for listening today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Until next time, take care.